like, Sarah, I don't want to alarm you. She's like, but I think you've got Bell's palsy. And I was like, what's that? Like, and she's like, your face is, is paralyzed. Like, and by that stage I'd lost all movement. Like couldn't move my eye, couldn't move my nose, couldn't move my forehead on that side. And I was talking like completely out of the, the right side of my mouth. Hi guys, and welcome back to the Rage Active Podcast. We're bringing you insightful conversations to help you live an active and inspired life. So make sure you hit subscribe so that you get the latest episodes as soon as they are released. I'm your host, Rachel J, and I'm so excited to welcome my guest to the show today. She's the Pilates trainer over at the Sweat app. She's also the founder of Union Pilates, and she's a balanced body master instructor. Welcome to the show, Sarah Cahoon. Hello. How are you? I'm so good. I am so freaking excited to chat to you because obviously we're both Pilates nerds. So this is going to be a really fun chat. I know. Usually I'm always the only Pilates nerd in the room. (laughs) (laughs) There's not many of us, I feel like. There's not many around. So um, we were just saying before we hit record on this that it's just going to be fun to get stuck into some really nitty gritty stuff around Pilates. But I just want to bring this up because we just spoke about this. I had to ask Sarah how to pronounce her last (laughs) name. And the way that you spell it, because if you look at it on the title, guys, of the ep title, it actually is nothing like how you pronounce it. So, Cahoon, please tell me where this originates from. So, my last name is Scottish and apparently there is a castle in Scotland, the Cahoon Castle. We have our own tartan check. Apparently, I have a clan. Um, Wow. (laughs) I have looked into the last few Christmases of actually getting the tartan made into clothing for all of my family and then I always just run out of time but I was like, I need to do this one year. (laughs) Yeah, you do. It's so incredible and so unlike because I was there going, okay, do I say, do I say, Cold Kuan. Yeah. How do I settle it? Like it's it's so incredible that it's absolutely nothing like how it's felt. Nothing at all. To, no, nothing at all. But I think it's really cool. So that's really awesome to hear. Like you've got a clan and a little tartan that's as right. well. <laughs> so unique. So this is this is great. This is so good. So you actually have been in the Pilates game for a very very long time. In fact, I feel like you are one of of our generation possibly somebody who has been in the Pilates game for the longest time. I don't think I know anyone sort of around our age that has been doing it for as long as you. So can you take me back early, early, early Pilates career? You've obviously been teaching for a long time and practicing for a long time. So can you please tell me what was going on back then, back in the day, 17, 20 years ago when you started this whole thing? Yeah, it was... It's so different to what Pilates is now. The whole landscape has drastically changed. Like when I got into Pilates, I could have never envisioned that, you know, that my career would be where it is today and that I would have the opportunities that I do within Pilates. You know, one of the most common things that I used to just get asked all the time whenever I was, you know, I'd say I'm going to Pilates and you just get, what's that? Oh, you just do yoga. Oh, yeah, you just lie down. (laughs) You do a few stretches because people knew what yoga was about 20 years ago, but no one had heard of Pilates. My parents had no idea what I was doing. And yeah, as you said, I started practicing. Uh, it's been over 20 years now. It's been, I've been practicing for 21, coming up to 22 years now, wow. which makes me feel very old. <laughs> <laughs> 
you just started really young. I did. Let's I started. Just say I that. started practicing when I was fourteen, and uh, and go. then I started my teacher training uh, when I was seventeen. So, particularly when I was training back then, uh, there wasn't a lot of studios around. Group reformer didn't exist. So, what we know today is group reformer. Uh, there was no such thing as a group reformer studio. There was only uh, traditional Pilates studios uh, where we just taught uh, either privates or groups of threes or fours, and that's how I got started. And I also started in um, in mat as well. And it was it was just such a different little underground world back then. It was um, you know there was only a few teachers, few and far between, and you had to really source out a teacher if you wanted to find someone. Um, and it was, it was very much through word of mouth and um, I was just, I was fortunate enough that I went to um, my dancing school and um, my dancing teacher when I was 14 said, I, I've heard of Pilates, that it's really good for ballet dancers and her friend had just trained in mat Pilates and I grew up in a really small country town. So this teacher used to drive an hour and a half out to us in this tiny little like <laughs> warehouse in, in our country <laughs> town and come and teach us Pilates for an hour a week. And I loved it then. And all we used was she just told us to bring a pillow and a, we had chairs and, and that's all we used. And that was the first introduction for me to Pilates. And then wow. I was just super fortunate that when I uh, went to uh, my second high school, my, um, I went to performing arts high school. So we were dancing all day, every day, and my dance teacher there was a Pilates teacher. So she taught studio Pilates. So every morning we would start with a Pilates warm-up and then she was my go-to person then of, you know, how do I take this further really? Yeah, that's amazing. I can't believe that it's, I mean, when you think about Pilates now and, and what's available to all of us, it's it's incredible to think back that that's what it was when you started. I mean, it's, it's kind of such a long way, hasn't it? Oh, such a long way. And, you know, and even, you know, there was no such thing as active wear, you know, when I started, <laughs> it was like, you know, you wore, I wore my dance pants to teach in. I would wear like my jazz dance pants and, you know, like a, a cotton shirt or something. And to work out in, I wore my ballet tights and a leotard. Like that's, yeah. you know, because you couldn't wear your jazz pants to do a Pilates work in because they were big flares. Yeah. So you really didn't have another option. And, and all the clients I used to teach just like were in the daggiest tracksuit pants and T-shirts. It was just like literally your old rag clothes. Like that's all you would wear. And now you look at it and it's just, you know. <laughs> it's completely different. Completely different. We're so we're so trendy now. I feel like in the Pilates studios, there's all different types of athleisure, active wear, everything that we could wear when we're doing. Oh, Pilates that's right. My, right. God, more, my clients would be mortified if I rocked up in you know what I used to wear. <laughs> <laughs> so fun. So this is really interesting about you back in the day when you were very young, and I think it, you were around 19, if I'm correct. It might I might be wrong, but you were diagnosed with Bell's palsy, which. Tell me about what was going on with this because this is this is it's quite incredible to hear actually of what happened. So tell me what was going on and what what impact did that have on your body? What kind of was going on at that time? Yes, so um, yeah, you're exactly right. I was 19, so if anyone doesn't know what Bell's palsy is, um, I had um, my whole left side of my face was paralysed. So it was definitely an interesting time in my life my <laughs> and I was, I was pretty young and um, it, well, they basically think it just came on from stress and, and overload. 
So I was dancing full time and I was also teaching Pilates basically full time as well. So I had just moved to Melbourne. So I think I'd been in Melbourne for about a year from New South Wales originally. And yeah, so I would dance sort of six to eight hours a day and then head straight off to the studio. And then I would teach from five till eight every night or sometimes five till nine, uh, four nights a week and then on the weekends as well. So I was definitely pushing my body I think physically, mentally, emotionally, like to the absolute uh, limit and it did not cope. Mm. And yeah, over the period of 24 hours, I, it was a, it was a funny process. Like, you know, when you get Bell's palsy and um, I've spoken to other people that have had it and all quite similar stories and well, probably not as many of them laughed it off like I did. Most people were going into like absolute panic and I was just like, oh, this is quite funny because uh, I had no idea what it was. And I woke up in the morning and I started to brush my teeth. And when I went to put the water into my mouth to rinse my mouth, the water just fell out of my mouth. Like I couldn't hold it in my mouth. Wow. And I was like, oh gosh, I must be tired. And then I went to get a drink of water and the same thing happened. The water just went straight out the left side of my mouth. And I was just like, oh, wow, like Sarah, like what is wrong with you this morning? You know, just wake yourself up. And as we were traveling to dancing um, with my flatmate, I kept saying to her, I was like, oh, God, my face feels weird. It's tingly. And you know what 19-year-old girls like? She was just like, oh, shut up. You look fine. You know, just get <laughs> on with it. The dances. It was like you never complained about anything. You know, if you had an injury, mm. you kept going. And then by about lunchtime, my eye was burning because it had started to paralyze open. So by that stage, I was only blinking. I probably would have only been blinking, you know, once every few minutes. And oh my! And then my flatmate did say to me, she's like, your eye is red. And I was like, yeah, my face is feeling really strange. But I still had movement was sort of left in my cheek and like my forehead. And... And yes, yeah, so I arrived at work and sort of the same thing to one of the girls I worked with back then and was like, just my face looks strange. And she was exactly the same. She was a dancer as well. Just said, you know, get on the floor, start teaching. And it wasn't until my last client that came in at seven o'clock and her face when she saw me was just like that just said everything. And I hadn't looked in the mirror, but we had mirrors the whole way around the studio and I could have easily looked in the mirror, but I just had been too busy teaching. And she's like, Sarah, I just, I, I don't want to alarm you. She's like, but I think you've got Bell's palsy. And I was like, what's that? Like, and she's like, your face is, is paralyzed. Like, and by that stage, I'd lost all movement. Like couldn't move my eye, couldn't move my nose, couldn't move my forehead on that side. And I was talking like completely out of the, the right side of my mouth. So. Oh my goodness. Uh, and then it was, you know, we didn't really have Google or anything then. So it's not as if I could like Google what is this thing or, you know, so it was, um, which was a blessing, you know, because mm. I really had no idea um, how long it would last for or whether it was serious. I called my mom and she was like, you've got to go to the hospital. And I was like, nah, I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and then I woke up the next day and I was just in a world of pain. And then that's when it sort of got quite bad because, I couldn't walk in a straight line. Uh, I remember trying to walk to the doctors and I was just going on and off the road, sidewalk road, because I just lost all my sense of balance. And mm. so, yeah, I couldn't dance. And then it was just a matter of management and hoping that it would go away. For some people, it doesn't go away. And I didn't know that at the time, which was good uh, that I didn't yeah. know that because I think that would have made me stress more. So 
But yeah, the amazing thing was, you know, coming back to Pilates again, that I was able to lie down and keep my head still because that's what sort of, you know, that would throw my balance off. That would cause really bad headaches. And, you know, I could still do lots of exercises, lying down, just gentle stuff, but enough to be able to move my body and make me feel, you know, again, just in tune with my body Mm. and, you know, just how you feel when you just wake up your muscles, you get that little bit of release and mobilization and, you know, that was, that was really my saviour and it obviously uh, kept my body in enough condition then to be able to go back to, to dancing full time. I only ended up taking about probably about a month off dancing and once my eye came back, um, that was the biggest thing I needed to come back to be able to sort of function. I had to wear a patch over my eye because it was paralysed open. So sleeping was very interesting. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, so this is quite nuts. Odd. Yeah, it's crazy. So it took about six months for my face to fully come back. But if you didn't know, like after three months, you would just think that maybe I just had like a lot of, um, you know, asymmetries in my face, which it's still something I'm really self-conscious about. So I, I hate having photos of my face and because I can really see the difference in the, in the musculature after that. And right. um, it's just something that you just you learn to live with. Oh my goodness. What a, what an incredible journey though. And so amazing that you were able to recover from it. Do you know what helped you recover? Because is it something that just kind of goes away or is, is it what you were doing for your body uh, at the time? It can be a combination of, of both. I mean, they say it, it just mm. time, you know, some people that only last for a week or two, other people it's like six months, like what I was and, I was on steroids and that didn't work. Uh, And that's usually the first go-to is they put you on steroids, but that really didn't have an effect. And then I started having um, myotherapy and um, I had facial massaging done. Mm. And for me, I think that that was definitely, yeah, key um, because obviously there's just so much tension. And so I started having um, needling done as well in my face and... I think the combination of that and um, and then I would do slow breathing exercises and jaw exercises as well to try and get any sort of movement back in my jaw. Mm-hmm. And that was the only time that I started to see change and then get that, yeah, that full recovery. Yeah. It's, it's so incredible and I can't believe that it happened to you at such a young age. But then also like you've made a full recovery and, and you know, so many people don't. So it's so... It's such an incredible thing. Then kind of coming back to Pilates, obviously it being this movement practice that you could do whilst you were going through this, which is incredible. And I think, you know, obviously being a Pilates trainer, you know the benefits of Pilates. There's so many. One of the things that I think you've talked about a lot is the correlation between Pilates and mental health and this connection firstly between I mean, there is this whole idea of the mind-to-body connection that we've referred to a lot in Pilates, but also as a separate piece, the mental health piece. So can you kind of speak to that and what your experience has been like in terms of combining Pilates as a movement practice with your mental health? Yeah, absolutely. I think that side of Pilates started with me at such a young age and, Mm. you know, I feel really grateful in a way that I didn't start Pilates uh, as a workout practice, if that makes sense. Uh, It was firstly a way of just conditioning my body to be able to do what I wanted to do with dancing. And then 
uh, when I got into the studio Pilates, that was for rehabilitation. And I, you know, I had had my heart set on being a professional dancer since I was 11. So when I got to 15 and I couldn't dance because I was in so much pain with my knees, I had patellar femoral tracking syndrome, which is, it's not a huge, you know, injury or anything like that. And it's totally fixable with the right exercises uh, but at the time I was just in so much pain and didn't know how to to fix that until I found Pilates and because I wasn't allowed to dance you know that that was what kept my mental health you know great as a teenager because I could just go to dancing and you know you just get everything out in that studio and and then go about your day and then to take that away and take movement away from you, mm. like that was just devastating for me. I was just, yeah, I, I was just one of those teenagers that dance was just everything. And so then when I found Pilates, it really, that studio Pilates, it really gave me just a sense of control back over my body. Because if you've ever been through an injury or even if it's not an injury, if it's just a period in your life where you feel like things are getting out of your control, to have a movement practice where you feel like that you can actually connect to your body and feel in tune, it just gives you a really nice sense of grounding back in your body and it, and it gives you to an ability, I feel like, to be able to think a lot clearer. Mm. And that was what I really remember about those first few studio sessions that I came out of and I was so young, but to be able to have those light bulbs at that age that I walked out and the mental clarity that I felt after that one hour I was just like, whoa, how did that happen? And, you know, and it, it was it was quite astounding that, you know, just doing that, you know, three times a week and, and finding that strength back within my body really gave me that mental strength to be able to keep going at that time. And, and then I feel like I've just had so many little, you know, ups and downs with life like that, which probably as I've gotten older have been more uh, emotional uh, type of things that, I, that I've gone through. And, and that's when I think that my Pilates practice really changed as well because I was uh, sort of in my mid-20s, I was always doing a very strong Pilates practice. And then I went through a few periods where I, I just wasn't in a great way mentally. I'd been, been through... Um, a few big business things that just didn't didn't go as I wanted and um, it really really affected me and I really struggled to get onto a reformer even and mm. even the thought of having that much load on my body that would sort of stress me out so that's when I really sort of decided that to, I needed to slow it down and, and start to just find a more mindful Pilates practice for myself that I could sustain in those periods of those ups and downs. And that's what I've now just kept in my Pilates practice. So uh, I probably started doing that about 10 years ago and um, it's sort of a non-negotiable for me now that I, I have to do at least one session a week that it, that is slower and more mindful um, and it is just... I feel like it's just so restorative for your mental health as well as your physical. Yeah, like a bit more like a, a meditation in a way that mm. you use it as a way to find that space and that quiet, I suppose. And yeah. and we talk about 
you know, mind to body connection a lot in Pilates because it is kind of connecting the two together. And, and I suppose when you're in the moment as well, when you're in the studio and you're working through an exercise, it's really understanding in your mind what muscles you're connecting in a, in a physical sense. So I think one thing that I feel that I've come across is that people might understand the concept of mind to body connection or mind to muscle connection but not really know how to translate that into actual application when they're mm. in their Pilates practice because it's easy to say, okay, just use that mind-to-body connection, but people don't really maybe know what that means. So what would your suggestion be for, I suppose, someone who is wanting to improve on that or really, really find that connection when they are in studio, when they are practicing to really fire the correct muscles and then also to find that, that connection that we're talking about in terms of mentally. Yeah, it's such a, it's a great, um, you know, thing for people to be able to work on during class. But like you said, it can be really hard, particularly if you're in a group class or like there's 20 reformers, there's a lot of noise of the reformers going on and there's a lot happening. So to be able to actually find your own mind-body connection can be very challenging. Mm. So probably one of the biggest thing that I work with with my clients and even if I'm teaching in the reformer room as well is that link of the breath and yes. to me the breath is just key even if you come to Pilates you know you've done anything else but if you have done your breathing then the rest will sort of flow on and particularly in reform I tend not to stress too much about um, the correct muscles all the time particularly in a group class because everyone feels and experiences things differently. So unless you're working one-on-one with a person, I try not to focus too hard on that because I don't want to make someone feel like they're not doing it correctly Mm. if they're feeling something else, because that could just be that that part of their body is quite strong and the other part is quite weak. So therefore they're feeling it different to the person next to them. I can link those two people back to their breath and use that to get them to connected, connected to whatever they're feeling individually then to me, that's the best way to really find that deeper mind-body connection. And I like to really focus on where the breath is going in the body and where you're feeling it come from. So I'll often talk about that breath in really going down through the back of the nose, right down and seeping into the bottom of the lungs and the ribs so that you feel like you sort of get that full flush of air And then as you breathe out, really getting rid of any of the toxins or the negative energy in the body and sort of feeling that breath out start right down from your pelvis. And I find having those little links between the mind and body, it's it's that breath that then starts to circulate that through. And, And that's when you start to see change because people can repeat the same exercise over and over again, but because they're really feeling it in their body, they're not getting bored. And I know that's a totally sort of different topic, but I think that's a common thing, particularly in group classes, is that uh, particularly a lot of new teachers, um, they tend just to go on that side of teaching choreography because I think they're afraid of, of the people they're teaching getting bored, whereas I'm total opposite. Like anyone will tell you, if you come to my classes, it's like I, I do uh, do a lot of repetition, but there's a lot of depth to that repetition and I feel like that's when you can really go deeper into the work as well. If you constantly keep learning new movements, it is great for your brain and great for your mind, body and your coordination, all those type of things. But it's also really useful to go with repetition. 
so that you can actually be really honest with yourself and, and start to tune in and, and experience the exercise each time you do it rather than just floating through it. Yeah, I really love that actually. And, and that's the thing too, I think as people who participate in a class to not feel like they have to rush through an exercise but to take it, I like to do that too, is to slow things down. And, and like you said, if you can work into those subtle details, I think that's where it kind of is. Like even you talking about those cues of where you are inhaling your breath, where are your lungs expanding to, where's the breath coming from when you come out. I really, really love that because it, it does, like you said, take it will take your practice to another level really it does and then once you know I mean it's it's not as if you get to that level and then you're done you know you get Mm. to that level and it's like you still got to practice that and and then once you can practice at that level then it gives you the ability the ability to be able to go okay well you know if I can do it at this pace then well let's pick up the dynamic and and see you know can I challenge it to that pace or you know can I take the reps you know I could do 10 really well before but can I do 12 now if I use the breath and the right technique? Mm. So I think it just opens up sort of endless possibilities when you start to tune in more. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And breathing obviously is one of the key philosophies of Pilates and there's a few. So I think, I mean, I think too, the ones that we we know from Pilates are, are really key for any movement. So I am keen for you to take us through some of your favorite, I mean, we don't have to go through all of them because there's quite a few, but there are some foundational Pilates philosophies that are really important to any Pilates practice. But I, I think across the board with any movement practice. So can we kind of go through those and talk about why they are important for our yeah. movement. Yeah. Absolutely. And like you said, yes, the breathing is one of them. So that's obviously one of my absolute favorites uh, and a and non-negotiable when it comes to, to classes. And probably my next one would be concentration. Mm. And I think I've got I've gone in um, ups and downs with concentration in, in terms of it as a principle of movement because sometimes the word concentration can feel really rigid. Mm. And because I got into Pilates through a a dance background and I would uh, be often in a class with lots of dancers and then when I was teaching at a young age, I was teaching like 40 dancers from um, the Victorian College of the Arts and the Australian Ballet. So it can tend to get very serious Mm. and, and sometimes that gets quite tense. So then it has the opposite effect to what you want because you want, you know, you don't want to be out creating tension in the body yet. We just want yeah. to be able to concentrate on what we need to but also create space in the mind and body. So I think that's a concept that I have had to really explore within myself mm. and it's also a concept that I've had to explore within my teaching as to how how I help clients with that because some will need more focus than others. Others will come in and they're already a really you know, concentrated person and you can see the tension building and you're like, okay, well, I'm actually going to have to have a bit more fun and playfulness with them in Mm. order to get their brain to concentrate the way that it needs to for them to actually get the most out of movement. Mm. And then you've got others who are, you know, reaching for their phone every two seconds and, you know, oh, go go to toilet, go to do this, go to do that. And you're like, oh, we're not even getting through five minutes of you being able to concentrate. So then it's, as a teacher, I go, okay, well, what have I got in my tool bag to be able to help that client? And 
I think it's a really interesting one that if we look at it as a word, that it, it doesn't have to mean the one thing for everybody, that it is a, a broad umbrella of what concentration means and it, and it will be different for everybody in the class. Mm. It depends on where they're coming in at, what, what their energy level is, what their kind of stable or their, I would say their natural state is that's before right. they come into the studio as to what that's going to mean for them. Yes. Yeah, I really like that. The others probably control and flow of movement are, um, are two amazing concepts to me. And again, they're two that I really explored and I think they have to go hand in hand that, you know, having too much control is not great. Having too much flow and just letting your body go as well, also not great. So really being able to um, explore your control with that flow and, and keep coming back and, and crossing over between the two. Um, yeah, I love those concepts. Yeah, it's it's so it's such a nice feeling also when you are we're talking about reformer specifically to well even it, it doesn't matter if it's reformer or not but to feel that sense of control that you have over yeah. your body and that like you were saying earlier um, the other thing that I really love one of my favorite things about Pilates is obviously working with the core and and really getting quite specific about working with the core because I know that obviously you know there's ab workouts, core workouts, but with Pilates, you, you really get into the deep internal core muscles and, and finding the correct activation and connection. And, and what amazes me, I find in studio is that even though if people have been doing Pilates for a long time, often they actually do not know how to connect their deep internal core muscles. So I'm really curious to know uh, your take on this, your experience with this and, and why you feel like it's so important as well. Yeah, it's, yeah, like you said, so many people uh, don't understand what their their core muscles are and and they often just come in and the first thing most people say to you when they come to Pilates classes are, oh, I need to strengthen my core. Mm. But they actually have no idea what that means whatsoever. Like they mm. literally think they're just going to come and just do hundreds of sit-ups and, and that's what it's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> so then often what I find is it's really uh, layering your language with the client and uh, with the people that you're teaching to help them understand. And that's often a slow process. So it's about trickling little things into their mind as they're going through and just getting them thinking, you know, that when they're moving opposite arm, opposite leg, and then you're like, this is a core exercise. And they're like, I don't know, a minute, like, <laughs> <laughs> Wait a you second. can see the cogs start turning and then they're like, after a few weeks, it's like, okay, you know, they start to see how that they're, you know, moving around that core, finding that stability and then being able to move their arms and legs. So, mm. yeah, I think for me, I, I tend to try and just go on a bit of a journey with everyone that I'm teaching. Some people will get there a lot faster than others. Mm. Other people really need to uh, do less activation of their core. They're actually like, overworkers and I think that that is probably one of the most um, common mistakes about core activation is that people think that they have to be working so hard through their core and it's the total opposite mm. <laughs> you know it's such a subtle thing when you actually so get subtle. that transverse connection like pelvic floor is so subtle multifidus all those deep muscles they're they're so subtle in the way that they connect that we can barely feel them. It's it's a sense like a little hug for your spine. Um, it's like a, you know, I talk about it like as a bit of an internal zipper and an internal belt coming on and they're just really lightly sort of cinching around and really lightly zipping up. And 
helping clients to understand that. I, I find that's probably the hardest part is because they think they have to work so hard. Yes. And I think too, with, with connection and activation, it's literally like you could be lying down in neutral spine and pelvis and activating your core. So you're actually not moving externally in terms of doing any curls or anything, lifting and, and, and having that activation and releasing, and that is working your core. And, and you could just be, someone could be watching you going, well, you're actually just lying there, but that's right. Yeah. (laughs) You're, you're actually activating your core. And that's, that's where the work is. I mean, that's yeah. where that where that really deep work is. So it's I, that's a part that I really love about it because it's it's helping people. And like you said, it is difficult because I suppose people need to feel what that feels like in their body. Yeah, you need to understand what it feels like to activate your core and what it feels like when you're not activating your core. That's um, right. And to help people do that. But I'm yeah. I'm I'm like you. I like really passionate about helping people do that. Now, what's sort of intertwined with this is, I mean, we've talked about reformer a little bit, but there's obviously a variety of different ways in which you can train with Pilates because there's different studio equipment, et cetera. And I'm just really curious to know what, if you have a preference of equipment that you use or do you prefer mat or reformer? Because I find that a lot of people just naturally gravitate towards the reformer. It is quite a trendy thing and it has been for quite a while. Um, And you know, me personally as a Pilates trainer, I really love mat. Like I really love to come back to the foundational exercises that you use with your own body weight. So I'm curious to know what is your fave? So hard for me to pick a favorite. (laughs) I feel like I'm cheating on one piece of apparatus. If I say a favorite, I'm like, can they hear me? Um, But I'm a little bit similar to you. Mat is, I believe that mat is where the crux of the work is. And if you can understand the mat work and yeah that that is really the 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 crux of the work I believe that mat work is harder than the rest I agree Um, I talk to clients about reformer and the other apparatus and the way I describe it to them is that the reformer is the bells and whistles it will disguise all of your bad habits (laughs) mask all of any little imbalances in your body all Mm. those type of things because you're sort of locked into a system and you've got all these lovely things to pull on like a toy. Yes. And then you put that onto the mat and you've got nowhere to hide. It's yeah. just you and the mat. And then that's when it gets real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and lots of people don't want to get real. And that's part of the reason that I do believe that they don't like mat because it does expose a lot. And particularly as females, you know, we have to remember that Pilates was created by a man and particularly the mat work, you know, a lot of the, the stuff on the equipment was developed a little bit later on. Uh, when Joseph was teaching more females, but that mat work, you know, he developed on his own body, you know. Mm. So as females, sometimes that can be challenging because it is a little bit more upper body dominant, is a little bit more torso integrated dominant rather than lower body. Mm. So I think a lot of people do shy away from that and and that's okay. You know, the reformer will teach you lots of amazing things and when you're ready for it, the mat will always be there for you mm. and I think that's sort of how I look at all of the equipment is that each apparatus teaches you something about the other apparatus and it all teaches you about the mat work because you you look at what Joseph did and how then he created each piece of apparatus and there is just resemblance of every exercise as you go through and every piece of equipment. But 
for me, definitely the mat and probably the Cadillac is, uh, if I could travel everywhere with a Cadillac and for those of you who don't know what a Cadillac is, it's a huge bed with like posts that it's, it has to be like two, maybe 2.2 meters high. Um, yeah, it's ginormous. You cannot transport this thing anywhere. No, <laughs> you can't travel with it. That would be something if you could create a, uh, create a Cadillac that you could actually travel with. That would be I know, amazing. that would just like pop out of your suitcase like Mary Poppins. That would yeah. be my dream. Yeah. I think I just love the Cadillac because it takes your body into different ranges of movement that you can't get to on the Reformer. Mm. And and like you said, your Reformer is the really trendy uh, apparatus and, you know, it it became so popular, I think, one, for that reason, and two, because it is a little bit more compactable as well and a bit um, safer to teach on in a group environment. Like to have, you know, 20 Cadillacs in a room would just be an OHS nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the Cadillac is, uh, yeah, the Cadillac and the Wonder Chair and the barrels and everything, that's that's all stuff that I only teach on when I've got, um, you know, one on four clients. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just amazing. Yeah. Well, I, I really like that. I mean, obviously, yes, the Cadillac is amazing, but, you know, I often say to people that that mat work is so much harder. And I think, um, like mm. you said, you know, taking away any apparatus or equipment, it really does like reveal where you're at with your body yeah. because you have nothing else to help you with, you know, the reformer has resistance there that can help you with certain exercises. That's right. You yeah. Can do, even, even the lower body stuff, you can do all on the mat or with your own body weight. And that's really going to show you where, where you're at in terms of your strength and conditioning. So I, yes. I really like that too. So one of the things that I think is, um, I guess, maybe from your perspective, what have you noticed that you wish people would know or an important thing that people should know to take into their Pilates practice? Is there something that you've noticed that if we had this piece of information or if we knew this, um, this would make our practice better? The first thing that springs to my mind is patience. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do say it a lot and my clients who have been with me for very long, like I've got some, um, some people that I train that have been with me for 17, 18 years and wow. they, they'll be able to tell you that patience is key mm. and I think it goes for all fitness modalities, really. You can you can transfer that everywhere, but people go in and they into a class and they have this expectation that it's not okay to be a beginner mm-hmm. and that it's it's not okay to, you know, have light springs on to start or, you know, to choose the modification or or to choose the supportive spring while you're still learning. And I think, you know, as, as a fitness industry, we really need to um support that and show that that is so normal and to be a beginner is I think it's the best thing ever because you can really if you take the time and and do it well then you can just set up such a strong foundation and you will have so much longevity in your fitness journey in your Pilates journey whatever that might be and for me, the longevity in your fitness is key. It's like, this is why we should be doing it. We should be doing it for the joint health. We should be doing it for our mental health, for our physical health, all of those things. And that requires longevity. When people come in and they're like, oh, I just want to start with the advanced class. I've never done Pilates. <laughs> and it's oh, like, oh, no. Why? Like, you don't yeah. need, you know, like, who are you trying to prove it to? And mm. 
some people need to do that in order to to show themselves that oh okay it's okay to go back to the beginning and that's that's where I need to be but I think yeah just just being patient with your journey and like what's the rush mm. you know in, especially in terms of learning uh, a method like Pilates that has so many hundreds of exercises well thousands now because you've got you know a mix of contemporary with traditional Pilates there is so much to learn and uncover and. I think if you can be patient with that, you will get so much more out of your fitness journey, out of your Pilates journey, and you'll enjoy it long-term way more. Whereas if you just rush through it, there's no enjoyment really in that. And there's no long-term enjoyment in that. So be patient, be kind. Modifications are absolutely okay. Using supportive springs at the start, absolutely okay learning anything new is hard. So you need all the support you can get at the start. Yeah, absolutely. I really love that too, because I think as well, you know, especially when you're coming to a new movement practice, but even if you're, you're well-practiced in Pilates, there's, there may, you may be feeling this pressure that you do need to go to the advanced or, you know, put the light, if you're doing like a core exercise, lighter spring loads, or if you need to work the heavier strengthening, heavier spring loads. But I really like that it's almost like you need to give yourself permission. It's okay to do the modifications and just know as well, you know, we're, we're trainers. I take modifications when I do class. Yes, and that's what I was going right? to say, you know, like the week before last, I was modifying all of uh, my shoulder work for like three weeks. You know, I wasn't doing full push-ups those weeks, but, you know, that's, I'm totally okay with that. You know, it's just yeah. once you're okay with that and you just realise that, yeah, I'll get back there or you might be okay with not getting back there and being like, I'm going to work here for a while and see what happens. Mm, yeah, just listening to your body. It's that kind of, again, that that coming inwards and really understanding what's going on for you and just doing it for you, which is really I yes. think, the whole point of it really, right? Exactly. Yeah. One of the things I think I get asked a lot, so I'm really curious to know, your answer on this as a Pilates trainer people always ask me how many times a week should I be doing Pilates and so I'm interested to know what your take on it is how many times a week should people be doing Pilates my general thing and a little bit of this comes into depending on like whether they're doing studio Pilates or reformer or if they're doing that a bit of affordability so I always do tend to take that into consideration when I'm talking with someone because I also don't want to make anyone feel like they're not going to get the results they want um, because Pilates, it's it's not cheap. It is, um, you know, it is a more expensive practice. The um, classes are smaller. So um, I know that's a little sidestep, but that is one thing I do take into consideration uh, if it's, you know, more boutique studio. And then after that, usually generally I would say like two to three times a week is a great starting place. And then you can adapt from there as to what your body needs. Mm. And then it also depends on what your goal is with your Pilates and how you're using that in your week of exercise and your week of fitness. Are you using it for cross training? You know, so you might have people come in being like, oh, you know, I run four or five times a week or I'm training for a triathlon then they don't need much more overload on their body. They need conditioning. They need release work. Mm. So for them, I might be like, well, yeah, if we're doing two lighter sessions, two sessions is going to be great for you. But, you know, if you're looking at using this as a strength thing as well, then I would say one because you might be getting enough of that elsewhere. So I think it depends on how you're going to put that into your week because that is the beauty of Pilates that you can use it as, you know, your strength and your conditioning. You can use it as your stretch and mobility 
Um, in the studio setting, we have the ability to be able to tailor that each week to what our clients need, which is incredible. But in the reformer room, you can also book into the type of class you want to do. So mm. the client can tailor that for themselves. So, um, you know, the other great thing about Pilates that I always get asked is, you know, can I do it every day? Can I do it five, six times a week? And that mm. is the beauty of it, that you absolutely can, because there is so much depth and variety to the work that, you know, you could do it five, six times a week. And a, you're not going to get bored and B, you're still going to get everything that your body needs in terms of strength and load, conditioning, mobility, flexibility. It's all encompassed in that practice. Mm. Uh, you know, the, depending on what type of Pilates you're doing, if you're getting the cardio side of it, then great. But if not, then you might be looking at adding in, you know, running or whatever it might be as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I really, I really like that too. It's kind of looking at what your overall goals are and how Pilates fits into mm. that um, and incorporating other training if you need to as well. Yes, um, absolutely. So one of the very, very exciting things that happened for you in 2021 is that you joined the trainer team over at the Sweat app, which of course was founded by Kayla Itzinis. And we also had your fellow sweat trainer, Cass Olholm, on the show yes. uh, last season, <laughs> which was so fun. So please tell me, I'm so excited to hear all about your story, how it came to be that you became a trainer at Sweat. Yeah, it's like I still like I've got goosebumps right now because I still have to pinch myself. Like it's <laughs> an absolute dream come true for me. Uh, sweat had been on my radar for I think since I first saw Kayla and what she was doing and the community that she built. I think that was the biggest thing that really drew me towards sweat in terms of just a fitness um, app and yeah, what they had created was incredible and. I I said to myself when she launched, I reckon it's probably about six months later, I was like, one day she's going to have a Pilates teacher on that app and I'm going to make sure it's me. Ah, that's so cool. I didn't do anything. Like I just put that mentally out there into the universe. I was just like, I just, I was like, I know that I had so much to give women and I'd been training women for so long and I get emotional talking about it. And for me, you know, when I started my social media, I didn't start social media till I was 30. So I was like, old coming into it. I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, like, how do I do this? Like I had to go and get like a social media agency to, to teach me how to start an Instagram account. Like I didn't know how to do oh that. My gosh. Like <laughs> so sad. I didn't get like, I was like one of the last of my friends. To, I didn't get Facebook until I was like 25 and I never used it. I was like, oh no, I don't want to be on that. And then sort of how I got into the social media was um, I, I think one of my friends or my partner at the time might have been on social media and, and they were showing me what was out there for Pilates at the time and there was no education about what Pilates was. And I was so passionate about that and being I had been an educator for a diploma course for 10 years by that stage, which, you know, is 98% women that I would train to be Pilates teachers at all ages and aspects of their life. So I would see firsthand how much it can change people's lives. And like you said, particularly the mat work, I was like, that that can have such a profound effect. And yeah, so I started my social media account and my sole goal was just to be able to educate and just create more awareness of what Pilates was. And, um, you know, I remember the, the social media team that I had at the time, like, you know, you've got to wear cute outfits and you've got to do this. And, and I was like, oh, do I really have to do all of that? To, like, can't I just tell people like what Pilates is? And they're like, no, that's not how social media works. And I was like, okay. 
<laughs> it took me a while to find my own voice within that as well because I obviously I just had no idea how to do it. And then once I found my voice and and my pillars that I really wanted to to get across, I guess that's when Sweat found me. And um, I remember they reposted one of my videos, like would have been in twenty. 17 or 2018 or something and I was like oh. <laughs> we posted one of my balance videos I was like what does this mean it means nothing cool yeah just you know and um and then yeah then a couple of years later I um opened my email account to an email from sweat saying we want to chat to you about um being a Pilates trainer and amazing that was just yeah absolutely incredible and I was just like pinching myself all day and um it took a a long time to come to light because they didn't know how they were going to put Pilates into the app it was a new concept for them uh if you've ever done the sweat app uh like Kayla and Cass who you spoke about their exercises are filmed in a single format um one exercise at a time which doesn't really work for Pilates so yes um there was a very long couple of year process there that um yeah, that, that took time to nut all of that out. And then when we were ready to go, COVID hit. So yes. uh, I was, yeah, supposed to launch a lot earlier than what I did, but we just could not film. So yeah. um, it was almost a year of sitting waiting uh, before I could actually film um, and and launch into the app. And every month we would, you know, almost every week I would get on to a video call with a sweat team and they're like, yeah, so you're still in lockdown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another month's passed and you're still in lockdown. Like, yeah. yep. Because, <laughs> of course, we're based in Melbourne. So that's why Sarah's talking about this. And we've had the longest COVID lockdown. I believe we're, we're the biggest in the world. The longest, longest in the, in the world. world. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. of course, it, it disrupted a lot, of, um, a lot of plans. But I think what is so cool about this is now that you're bringing Pilates to a wider audience. And obviously, the sweat community is a huge community, a very... Um, it's a very lovely community and I think this is one of the things that even Cass talked about is is, is the community of women and men um, that are part of the, the sweat community. And so tell me a little bit about your sweat Pilates program because this was created obviously specifically for sweat. Um, so tell me a bit about what that is, what it entails and what I suppose you will get from doing this program. Yeah, it was it was actually just so exciting for me to be able to write that program because it brought me back to where I started Pilates. You know, I started with mat work in a hall with no equipment and sweat were like, you know, you can only use two or three pieces of home equipment. I was like, this is the best. It's taking me back to being, you know, 14 where I began. And for me, then it was like, how do I, I really wanted to give the sweat community a sense of, what they would feel almost if they were coming into a studio in terms of how we would really get that well-rounded workout. And if you know a bit about Pilates, you know, there is a traditional set of mat work Pilates exercises, but there's not very many. (laughs) There's only, you know, there's 34. So I obviously couldn't do a 12-week traditional Pilates mat work because I would do two classes and that would be done. (laughs) Although, you know, my background really stems in in that way, I also obviously have a huge contemporary blend to what I do and um, probably the last 10 years I've really enjoyed blending a lot more functional movement, uh, which Joseph was also doing, Joseph Pilates when I say that, was doing in other ways on the equipment, not so much on the mat work. Mm -hmm. So what I really did was, and I had time in lockdown, 
to really <laughs> nut out my program was I tried to take elements of exercises that I do on all the apparatus and I said to myself, how can I recreate this to give the sweat community the best feeling in their body, mm. obviously without those pieces of equipment there. So mm. what I did was blend those traditional exercises with contemporary exercises and then creating exercises that are on the equipment and transferring them onto the mat. And I guess I have sort of three distinct styles of mat classes that are uh, I tend to do on my own body and obviously I wanted to, my sweat program to be a reflection of my own training and what I teach because I guess I know it works. I've been doing it for so long. Yeah. And so in my um, sort of signature class is my strength and conditioning class, which is a nice flowing, well-rounded class that has a combination of uh, lying exercises and standing and then I do uh, more of a high-intensity interval Pilates session, which is something that I sort of started playing around with. It must have been about 25. I did that more on the equipment, though, because we use what's called jump boards on the reformer, which you would know. Um, yes. But for those of you who don't know, it's, it's an ability to be able to jump lying down. And I think that's when people got a bit confused about my program because they were like, why is she jumping in Pilates? And the jump boards are a traditional piece of Pilates equipment and they're a huge part of my training. And I've been using them for 20 years and I use them with all of my elite athletes. And I was like, I, I can't have a program and, and not have some aspects of that in it because it is really key to then building, like we were talking about before, once you're in tune with your mind body, then can you take these concepts now and put them into these really challenging exercises? So mm. Um, what I like to tell the sweat community when they do, they're like, oh, I was surprised when the little jumps came through, Sarah. <laughs> I always say there's just a sprinkle. And, you know, I have a, um, I'm sure I think how many weeks there are now. There's 16 weeks of um, programming in the sweat app of my Pilates program. The first four weeks are a foundations program. And I love this because like, you know, when Sweat said to me that, you know, you've got the all clear to, to do the four-week foundation, like that was just music to my ears because I know there's so many women that are starting from a base of, you know, nothing. They've had a break. They might have had children. They've had things go on in their life where they are not in a state where they're working out. And like we were saying before, they don't need to start at this really hard level and feel like they can't do things. They need to start at a level that's achievable and that's what my foundations program is and mm. it gives you time so that you can understand the concepts and that you can start to build strength without overloading your body and without too much complexity. So that, mm. that four weeks is really about simple movements that build strength and focuses on your breath and it's all low impact. So there is no little sprinkle of jumps in, in that one. <laughs> and then as you head through the next 12 weeks, it's, it's all progressive programming and every week uh, there is two strength and conditioning workouts. There's two high-intensity interval Pilates workouts and they have that little sprinkle of jumps through them. Um, but there's alternatives. So I talk through everything and that's the beauty of the app. You know, you're not just sort of watching the exercises. You've got me there talking through everything, motivating you through as well. You know, like I'm like, mm. I know when it's getting tough. Like, <laughs> So you've got me there helping you. And then I have uh, my mindful movement and my de-stress workouts as well in the on-demand section. So 
there's a really nice blend in there for the week. And I know that, uh, you know, lots of the sweat community will just, they make their mindful movement. Like they have to do that one every week. And then if they get, you know, two or three in, then that's great. And there's the option for the five workouts there a week. And there's an express workout in there too, but the program's for you. And that's, that's what I say to everyone that, that joins, you know, it's, although I've created the program, I've created it for you. So you need to design it to fit your own lifestyle. And if that means that you go through and you just do two workouts a week, all the way through the best part is you just start from the beginning again, and you do a different two workouts. And Mm. I really created the program in mind that I wanted women to get to the end and feel like they want to go back and start it again. Yeah. And that's what so many women do. And they message me and they're like, I'm on my second time through. Now I've got a couple of girls like basically on their third time through. And because like I was saying before, that that repetition of movement builds, it builds so much confidence and it's so empowering, but it also builds that mind-body connection. So um yeah, it, it was just amazing being able to to create that program with sweat and bring it to life was yeah, it was just absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's so incredible. And even too, like you're just saying, even if people repeat it over again, one of the great things I find is that if you are, even if you are doing the same workouts, is that you can see your progression because you are doing similar exercises. You are, you know what I mean? So you can tell whether, okay, when I started this, I couldn't plank or or whatever it is. And now I can do this. And, And that's, I think, really empowering for people to feel that in their body, but also know that they've gone from one place and they've taken their bodies to this other place, which is, which is so amazing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It just builds so much confidence. Yeah. So one of the things I think that people always really like to know about trainers is what does your personal training look like during the week? So what kind of training do you do? How many times a week do you do it? All of that kind of jazz. So what does that look like for you? Yeah. So it's, well, as you said before, you know, we've been in lockdown for so long. (laughs) So I feel like the last two years, it's, it's been different. You know, it hasn't been my usual, like consistent prior to lockdown. It was, you know, very not rigid, but just consistent in terms of, you know, I would make sure that every week I would do one reformer, one Cadillac workout, two mat workouts, a run, and then an optional, you know, whether it was a chair or mindful movement stretch session. And, you know, in terms of like the apparatus that I would use, I would make sure that, and then lockdown hit and I wasn't even allowed into my own studio. Yeah, Um, That was illegal. So, and I didn't have a reformer in that, that first lockdown. So when we had the really long lockdown, all I had was my mat. So I went back to a year of sole mat work, which was incredible. And especially it was the year leading up to me launching sweat. So, Mm. um, that was amazing. And it was also a really good opportunity for me to see, you know, how my body, uh, felt like in my joints and in my strength physically, did my body change, you know, all those types of things. I was Mm. like, this is going to be a great experiment. And if anything, like, I feel like I had probably more muscle mass uh, after the year of of Matt. Matt. Okay, so listen to this, girls, right? <laughs> muscle mass, lean muscle mass, you can build it doing mat using your own body weight. Yeah, it right? was, um, yeah, it was, it was great to see that, um, whereas because obviously the equipment is a lot more, um, particularly like, like I said, if I did a Cadillac workout, it's got a lot more mobilizing um, types of exercises in it. 
Whereas the mat exercises, you know, it tends to err a little bit more on that that strength side a lot of the time. So um, that was a great experiment for me as well. And it's, um, I loved that. And then obviously we've been in and out of lockdown for the last year. So I really um, kept my sort of three solid mat works a week. And, and that will be like a high intensity interval Pilates, a strength and conditioning sometimes two strength and conditioning on the mat or one strength and conditioning and one mindful movement. And then whatever apparatus is free in my studio, it's like <laughs> I sort of take what I can get. You know, when I get there, it's like, oh, what, what are clients on? What is there anything I can use? And then half the time I sort of stand there, I'm like, no, I can't work out. Okay. I'm like, I've got how many reformers now and I can't get on one? I'm like, cool. Yeah. Good problem to have though. Good problem exactly. But I've got the reformer at home and I used to run like maybe once or twice a week. Now I'm not a runner. I'm not a good runner. As I said, I'm a dancer and generally we can't run. Uh, <laughs> we're not a group of people that generally run, but I taught myself to run through Pilates. I conditioned my body so that I could do it. And I had almost two years off um, because we were just doing so many live classes through lockdown as well. My body was just getting enough um, enough workouts that I, I sort of gave away the running and I've just started to get back into my running again. Amazing. And I don't run for, you know, to be fast or anything. Like I'm talking like I only do five, six Ks, but um, I do that because I find it really challenging mentally. Mm. Um, I think because I've obviously been doing Pilates for so long, I still find it challenging mentally in different ways. Um, but I find the repetitive motion of running so challenging because obviously with Pilates and with dancing, it's like lots of choreography. It's like a brain overload. So to tell me just to run in a straight line for half an hour is so mentally challenging. And that's why I force myself to do it, <laughs> which sounds really bizarre. It should be the other way around that, that Pilates is the more mentally challenging one. But for me, I'm like, you know, if I can get through this run, I can do anything. I've just got to run in a straight line, you know. <laughs> I think so many people find that with running. I know when I started running and I I was the same as you. I was not a runner. I started running a few years ago. And the, yeah. the, I think that's the hardest thing is just literally even noticing what you say to yourself when you're running as well. Oh, my well. gosh. Yeah, the, right? dialogue, like, the inner dialogue is so hilarious. It's so crazy. And when you first start because your body is not used to it and obviously if you're not a runner and, and your body's not used to it, all these things are happening, your breath, your it's a high oh. impact. It's a high impact movement. You're just like, oh, my God, this is hard. Why am I doing this? I want to stop. And that just – you've got to silence that Yes, you've voice. got to silence it. And whereas I'm like – you know, I'd come from being like, you know, on point shoes, like blood in my feet, you know, dance to a broken ankle. Oh fine. my gosh. <laughs> like, you know, like no issues. Yeah. And then it's like when I started running, I was, I remember I was teaching um, with a, she was sort of a, a professional runner, one of the girls I used to teach with. So I rang her and I said, I'm going to run the TAN today, the Botanical Gardens, which is just like a four kilometer loop. And she's like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> And she's like, how are you going to do that? And I was like, well, I, I just assume I run, don't I? And, <laughs> and she's like, well, you should probably have a plan, you know, like maybe like run 500 metres, walk, you've never run before. And I was like, oh, it can't be that hard. Like <laughs> I remember I was like, I got a K and my whole back seized up on me, my pelvis. I was just like, oh, my God, I had the worst stitch ever. And I rang her and I was like, what is this? Like, <laughs> And then I realized then that I was like, I've got a lot more work to do, like 
in order to build to that. So I actually went back to the Pilates studio, like, and I hadn't been training enough of like my glute max and my hamstring strength. And, you know, I'd been doing lots of other things, but I was like, okay, I need to really focus on that in order to get back out there. And um, yeah, it took a long time, but I got there. <laughs> yeah. It's so, I think it's so fun to hear people's run journeys. Cause it is, it's one of those things that seems so simple, like, okay, I should be able to just go and run, but it is a, a a lot to do with your mental game as well, right? Yeah, so, it really is. So mental. Yeah. Now, the other thing that people like to ask about, and I think um, we'll be interested to know, is what a typical day looks like in terms of your nutrition. And I think obviously people like to know what tra- trainers eat. So yeah, what do you normally eat in a day? What does a typical day look like for you on the plate? Well, it always starts with coffee. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're up early yeah, as well, huge. right? Usually yeah. in the studio early, yeah. Yes. Um, and again, it, I feel like so much has changed with lockdown as well with my whole eating and nutrition and everything because, like you said, like I before lockdown I was in the studio uh, four days a week at 5, like 5.15 a.m. So I used to actually struggle with that and I, I always have this since I've been teaching um, because I would often book myself really long shifts and – I would sometimes teach for seven, eight hours straight. So um, I did really struggle. I didn't like eating early in the morning and those type of things. So um, I always have water before my coffee. That is one of my non-negotiables is that I have to have two glasses of water before I have a coffee. So that is a great tip if you are a coffee drinker like me. Um, It really does help with your hydration for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, yeah, my, my... Stay on a plate, it, it does really change depending on my hours because I don't have a normal job. It's um, it's so up and down. But, um, you know, some days I try and get something in to eat before I start teaching. Otherwise, I sort of don't get to have something unless one of my team bring me a smoothie at like nine. Um, but, yes, Avon toast is my go-to with poached eggs for sure. It's so um, Melbourne. <laughs> so Melbourne, I know. And then if my partner cooks, he's like, you know, I'm like, I like to keep it simple for breakfast. And he's like, okay, I'm making you chili scrambled eggs with feta and I'll put some bacon in there. <laughs> he loves to cook breakfast. Um, lunch, I'm a salad person for lunch. I really don't do much else for lunch other than salad or if I'm at home, a big smoothie I'll make. Um, and I love, yeah, like a chopped peanut butter smoothie. Mm. And if I'm cooking for dinner, I cook vegetarian. Um I just feel better eating more plant-based. I find mm-hmm. if I eat meat every day, I don't really feel great. I feel a bit more tired. I feel a bit sluggish. That's just me personally. Um, but my partner is a big meat eater. So we come to a bit of a balance when I cook, it's vegetarian. And when he cooks, he'll, he'll, he'll <laughs> cook with meat. So um, yeah, I do get quite creative with my, my cooking with my vegetarian meals and um I think lots of people think that, you know, you can't have flavour and and that it's going to be boring, but um, it's definitely not. Yeah, you got to check out um, Sarah's Instagram because she has a lot of her meals that she pops on there and they look amazing, which is really, really cool. So what are your best healthy snack recommendations? What are your go-to snacks, healthy oh, snacks? Oh, go-to snacks. Um, I'm actually not a big snacker. I know that's weird, but I think it's just because of teaching. I don't really get to... Yeah. I actually tend to have bigger meals. Um, people often get surprised with how much I eat at a meal. Like I will eat a lot. Um, but if I do snack, I usually will make 
either like protein balls um, and it's usually always something chocolatey. I do love chocolate. Oh, and that's, I also have chocolate every day. Um, <laughs> dark chocolate, but I will have chocolate every day. Amazing. <laughs> I'm trying to get it down to just two squares, but I was having this conversation with um, someone from Sweat actually last week and we're like, who are those people that just say, you know, you just have one square of chocolate? I'm like, I don't know. No. I don't know how they do that. But I don't know I'm, those people. <laughs> I don't yeah, know those yeah. people. <laughs> I have been a little bit better at trying to do just a two square thing, but um, yeah, I'll keep I'll keep working on that. Um, but yes, probably protein balls. Um, I actually do buy sometimes like um, like a healthy protein bars in bulk. Just if I need a quick snack, I've got them there mm. um, rather than not eating. Um, yeah. cause sometimes with teaching, that's like, you know, I'm like, I need to have things on the go, ready to go. So, you know, making it myself isn't always an option. So I actually do have them at the studio. I've got them there in bulk and I've got them at home as well so that I can just quickly run and get one of those. Um, but yeah, they're probably my main things. Oh, and just cucumber and hummus, carrot and hummus. Yeah. Yum. Yeah. Perfect. And they're great little yeah. snacks to have, um, healthy and mostly, I mean, hummus is just chickpeas, so it's mostly raw anyway. So it's really great. Exactly. Yeah. So one of the things that I do like to talk to all my guests about is rejection and failure, because we all experience this during life. And, uh, it's, it's one of those things that I think we learn a lot from them. So what has been your biggest failure or rejection and what have you learned from it? Yeah, that's, I guess I think two probably spring to mind. Um, and I don't see them as failures anymore, which I guess is a good thing. Um, but as I said earlier, you know, I wanted to be a professional dancer since I was 11. And once I started training full-time, I was training sort of full-time dance by the age of 15 through to 24. And I was always in this cross mix between um, contemporary and classical and going down the musical theatre path. And I didn't really fit. I, I was really good at both, but I also, I wasn't a singer. So in order to, to pursue a musical theatre career, I needed to be able to sing. And like, you do not want to hear me sing. It's actually horrendous. <laughs> and all my best friends are in musical theatre and they're all <clears throat> incredible singers. And so it was like, do I explore that and try and get better? Which I did try. Trust me, I tried, but I just didn't work out for me. And... <laughs> And then I knew I wasn't going to be a ballet dancer. I wasn't the build. I wasn't, I hadn't gone through um, enough training, although I was a ballet dancer and actually in order to join a company, that wasn't for me either. So mm. yeah, I guess I got to the age of, you know, 24 and I was doing auditions and um, being a dancer, you, you just deal with constant knockback. It's um, every day is almost rejection from a very young age in, in that sense. And um and that's something I've had to really try. I'm still working on is, is to learn to change that, that inner voice because um, you are constantly striving for perfectionism and in no matter what you do. And I guess I had to, you know, I got to 24 and, and I was doing auditions and I, I was focusing more on that commercial side of musical theatre, but I also didn't want to be a commercial dancer. So I was like, I don't see myself dancing at gigs and things like that. It just wasn't for me. And I loved Pilates. I was you know, I was teaching full time and um, my boss at the time, she was previously um, a dancer as well in musical theatre and she's like, it's time that you need to make the decision, you know. Mm. Um, and she's like, you've really got to 
go one way or the other. You're either going to come with me full time or you're going to keep going down this audition path, but I can't be there really. Mm. So I guess that was a huge defining part in my Pilates career and where I am today. And, and at the time I never looked at it as a failure either because I think I was confident in myself as a dancer as well. I knew that I, you know, I, I was really good at what I did and, but it just wasn't going to work out for me. Um, and, but to be able to watch my friends go on and have like amazing careers has, yeah, like I've never sat back and thought, I wish that was me up there anymore because I think I'm so, you know, content is not even the right word because it's not even content. It's like so over the top happy with what I do that, um, you know, there was a part of me when I remember my boss came to me and said that, that I was like, well, my love for Pilates has pretty much surpassed my love for dance, which I never thought would happen. Like I just didn't think anything could come in and take over that in my life because it was just, you know, it's just who I was. And then, you know, now it's like, oh, Pilates. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I think that that would probably be, um yeah, one of the biggest ones. So there's been a few business ones, but I probably won't get into those. They're, they're a bit more complicated. <laughs> <laughs> and they have definitely been learning curves. But, um, yeah, I think the biggest takeaway from that was, I guess, just trusting myself. And I knew at the time that I was doing the right thing with going down the journey of Pilates, but I guess so many people had around me had invested in Sarah being a dancer. You know, my mm. parents had done so much to help me you know become what I wanted to be and then to tell them I'm not doing that anymore it's like you almost feel that that bit of guilt and mm. um you know you've got to be okay with that obviously and um you know and everyone was just like at that time as well you know that was 11 years ago and it was still just like oh well Pilates is just a hobby though so what are you going to do for a real job mm. you know so there was also that, I mean, and I used to get that with dancing anyway, that, that that was the same. It was just always people just looked at you and you were like, well, they're like, it's just a hobby. And I'm like, it's not a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's, I mean, I think it's so incredible to hear that story. And I think obviously a lot of performers go through rejection and all of that. But when you look back at your dance career, I mean, I feel, I feel like none of it has gone to waste because it has all gone into Pilates and what you've learned through movement and dance has, is, is now really built the foundation of your career as a Pilates it has. expert, it's, really. It's, yeah, I, I'm just forever grateful for it. Like I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't have all of that experience. And yeah. it definitely, you know, shaped me into the teach that I am I've had to let go of a lot of things, but it's also just instilled in me so many amazing things and, you know, and even being able to, you know, film and be in front of a camera and, and all those things, you know, and like I'm so comfortable with that side of things from performing that um, it, it makes everything else a lot easier because I can just focus on, on what I do. Yeah, 100%. I really love that story. Now, the other thing that I like to ask, and this will be the final question, is if you had an overarching life philosophy that you try to live your life by, what would that be? Oh, an overarching life philosophy. I feel like it's probably being challenged. Again, like I keep coming back to the lockdown, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I think for me to try and find 
calmness in my everyday and I do struggle with that sometimes with running a business and I essentially like have two studios in one really so it feels like I'm running two studios I run my sweat program and and then we've got the teacher training so um and then to juggle life outside of that um I think that has probably been one of my biggest um things that I try and work on every day is to is to find the calm and how to be you know life is going to be busy but it to not be stressful busy yeah and um I think I don't want to use the word balance for lack of a better word but um yeah I I guess just find the moments of calm and to be able to embrace the busy and enjoy it rather than it, it feeling overwhelming yeah, I really like that. And and I think it's one thing that a lot of people need to do as well is just to find that balance in your life so that you can live it in a really peaceful and calm state, which is really yeah. good. So I really love that. Yeah. Well, this has been such an incredible chat. Thank you so much for joining me on the show, Sarah. It's um, I've been looking forward to this because we've had this sort of teed up for a little while. So thank you so, so much. I think, you know, everything that you've talked about has will bring everybody listening so much um, information and, and inspiration. So thank you. Thank you so much, Rach, for having me on. It was such a pleasure. So where can people find you? Because you've got a lot of stuff going on. Where are the best places to find all your amazing stuff, your sweat program and all of those things? Uh, probably my Instagram page is probably the easiest way to find everything, which is just my name, Sarah Cahoon. But spelling is a little bit challenging because I am Sarah without a H. So it's S-A-R-A-C-O-L-Q-U-H-O-U-N. I apologize. <laughs> so we're going to we're going to pop all of those details in the show notes so you can find Sarah on yes. Instagram. And if you are in South Melbourne or around Melbourne, I do have a studio um, right in the heart of South Melbourne, Union Pilates. So um, yeah, yes. you can find me there too. Union Pilates. You can find that on Instagram, but also if you are in Melbourne, check out Sarah and do one of the classes there because there's Reformer. There's also studio stuff as yeah. well. There's a whole bunch of different things at that studio. So I'm yes, definitely check out Union Pilates. But thank you so much again for joining me, Sarah. Um, thank you guys for listening to this episode. Make sure you tell us what you loved most about this episode, what you found most inspiring or what you felt helpful and leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. And also you can screenshot this and tag us and share it to your IG stories. And thank you so much again, guys, for listening. And we'll catch you next time on the Rate Active Podcast.